Perhaps this scientific method could be extended to other fields of learning. Perhaps I could lead the way to a new age. An age of rebirth. A renaissance. Nah. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Crema. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Manns. Suzanne Mitchell. So happy to have you with us. Boy, do we have a show today. This is the show of shows. It is. In a manner of speaking, it's the be-all and end-all. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to have everybody aboard. And certainly no exception to that would be our producer. He's at the board. Bad boy, Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you doing today, uh, Doing sir? pretty good. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. There they go. Right there. There they go. Right there. Uh, Blue Angels. They huh? are back, baby. Woo! All so right. excited. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Very- right? Very exciting, very wonderful. For the churchgoers in the crowd <laughs> on Sundays, when the blue angels are streaking overhead, I've seen many a sermon stopped in its tracks. I like how you put that, blue angels and streaking. That may not be the airplanes or the pilots themselves. That could be other forms of entertainment. <laughs> it's Speaking of forms of entertainment and the blue angels, Chicago. Yes. We had lunch. Oh, we did that. Yes. At we Hancock that. Tower. Unbelievable. Right. right. 95th floor and the Blue Angels came streaking by between the buildings and we almost lost our lunch. <laughs> we were having we were having lunch with Tori Ryder. Yeah. Radio veteran. Yeah. We met her there in Chicago, did the show, had lunch together. Now, if something like that is going to happen, and I did not know the Blue Angels were even in town, as I recall. They were practicing that day. They were practicing that day, and I had my back to them. So I hear these two lovely feminine shrieks come out (laughs) as they go streaking by Mm -hmm. at the top of the Mm -hmm. Hancock Building, downtown Chicago. And I'm going, no, what? No, no, it's not supposed to end this way. (laughs) What's happening here? And then they were in my view, and I thought... My God, it's the Blue Angels over Lake Michigan. That was an extraordinary experience unto itself. It was. So today, Blue Angels, welcome to Seattle. Glad to have you in the skies overhead and very glad. I don't even know how many times I've lost track how many times we've had Nicole Strickland on, but she has a new book. Last and time was mandatory for yeah. us. We're going yeah. to interview her in regards. Yep. Should I go ahead and give her her man? What is the name of that book, by the way? Oh, it's called The Afterlife Chronicles, Exploring the Connection Between Life, Death, and Beyond. One of the leading paranormal researchers on the West Coast, Nicole Strickland, is the founder and director of the well-respected San Diego Paranormal Research Society. Since 2011, she has co-hosted the Spirits of the Adobe Tours at the iconic Rancho Buena Vista Adobe. She serves as a California coordinator for the Ghost Research Society and is also a consultant to various other investigative groups, including the American Spectral Society. 
Nicole is nationally and internationally known for her research on the RMS Queen Mary in Long Beach. In addition to offering several topics related to the supernatural, she gives presentations about the ship at paranormal conferences, events, and libraries. She has presented at some of the best known conventions, such as the Oregon Ghost Conference, Port Gamble Ghost Conference, Troy Taylor's Haunted America Conference, Maritime Ghost Conference of San Diego, Preston Castle, Benefit, Paracon, Ghost Feet 4 aboard the Queen Mary, and Strange Escapes, among others. And we are welcoming her for the 14th time in 10 years to our show to talk about the Afterlife Chronicles, exploring a connection between life, death, and beyond. Welcome to Manson Mitchell once again, Nicole Strickland. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Good to see you. Oh, the whole crowd is applauding you. Yes. <laughs> it helps when you have a seafair weekend, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We have a story for you. All right. Let's do it. We've read every word of your book. Really? Oh, well, is that so a good what? thing or a bad thing? No, I'm kidding. No, it's a good thing. We are kind of known for that, and it it puts a bit of a burden on us because we only do a one-hour show, but we spend many hours reading uh, authors' wonderful books so we can get them in their holistic entirety. And sometimes we're quite aware that we don't really need to read the whole book. We can do an hour interview just from the first half. Right. And and so um, we got to two thirds of the way through the book, and um, Gary said, "Oh, you know, we have way more than enough material to talk to Nicole about." Yeah, and, and I said, "You know what? We don't need to read the last third. That's that's fine." And and he said, "Okay." So we put the book down, and we still had a couple of days before the interview, and I picked it up one evening, and I thought, "Oh, I'm going to keep reading." I'm going to keep reading. So what happened the next morning, Gary? Suzanne said over our breakfast coffee that she had something she wanted to read to me. And she read it to me. And I was, I must have been blushing. That's just, what an extraordinary moment. Nicole Strickland was kind enough to include an anecdote that essentially honored us as broadcasters, as well as individuals. And I just thought, what a sweet thing to do. And it called to mind, going back uh, two, three years now, I suppose, uh, about the wonderful invitation we received to write a preface for uh, one of Nicole's previous books, and then to be honored by mention of it, to be referenced within the pages of the book. Not only that, but the publisher chose a blurb that I wrote in praise of this book and of Nicole Strickland on the back of the book. So... uh, just my Christmas card list has increased by one name. Oh, that's that's saying something because I don't even send Christmas cards. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> I try. Some years I I I send the electronic ones, but I I try. But yeah, no, I I left it up to the book's designer, and she's wonderful. And I it, it was weird. I knew she was going to pick yours. I just had that gut feeling that she was going to pick your uh your uh testimonial i guess so and and you really really did surprise us because you didn't tell us that we were actually in the book on pages 182 and 183 with the story of how we got together the first time 
And so to you didn't let us you didn't tell us that was a surprise. Mm. I, I said to Gary, it might have been a test to see if we were actually going to read the whole book. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> In fact, I probably should have let you guys know that was like a fault on mine. So That's, no. I didn't sign any release. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I'm like, oh, I thought I'm like, oh, my gosh, I probably should have done that. Live and learn. But we I were honored. We were good. Honored. Yeah, I do have people sign releases, folks. I really do. I do. But yeah, Don, I was like, gosh, I should have probably had them sign something. But <laughs> yeah, we were we were shocked, surprised and completely delighted to see a story about us in your book. We just had to say that at the beginning. Just had to. Awesome. I'm so glad. Besides our feeling of being honored personally, you wrote a heck of a book, Nicole. This is fantastic. The Afterlife Chronicles, where you blend your own insights and the product of your years-long research in the field of afterlife communications, ghost research, haunted locations, put it between the covers of a book and then included the testimonials of people who've had their own paranormal experiences. It makes a persuasive case. For the idea that when we lay down these bodies of ours, that's not the end of our story. Right. And I'm grateful for that and hopeful at the same time. I always approach this particular subject with a good deal of optimism. That's wonderful. That's a good way to uh, definitely a good way to think about it all. And, you know, at the beginning, I do have that note to the reader because it's not my aim with this book to try to prove the afterlife or try to persuade someone to have beliefs in it. It's just meant to open up people's hearts to what awaits us when we pass on. So you cover it so completely, even more completely than Gary and I anticipated in reading the book, because you come at the idea of the afterlife from so many different angles and many of which are physical. They are our uh, not just our energies and our chakras, but uh, physical things that we can use to connect. Uh, there's a, a chapter on uh, divination tools. There's a chapter on on uh, your chakras. There's a chapter on on various uh, ways meditation ways to connect with the other realm. And I said, in a way, it's like a small encyclopedia. Did you intend to write it in that way so thoroughly? Uh, you know what? It, it, it was a journey. I, I don't know if I intended it. I just, as I started writing it, I, I asked myself, okay, what would I want to know if I was reading a book about this? And I, and I approached it from that angle. But I was thinking to myself, when I finished it, actually, I, I, one of my, in, as an author, you know, we have to have criticisms of our books sometimes, at least I do, because I'm, I tend to be a perfectionist, but I, I thought, is there too much information in here? Because you really could have about 10 books from this one book. And I thought, okay, that might be something that might turn people off, but I've had many readers tell me that they actually, it was the opposite, that they actually enjoyed having all that material and it flowed for them. So, but I was worried about that because I, I, I was, you know, reading it and proofreading it and stuff. And I had it professionally edited too. And I, I thought to myself, gosh, is there too much information in here? But it flows. 
and the stories interweaved help too. So well, it it isn't like two thousand pages. So no, when don't. you when you give this information on all the things that go into thinking about the afterlife, what I think you do is you show a bunch of doors that people can go through if they want to learn more. If you right. want to know how this impacts your study of the afterlife, think about this. You talk. There's many uh, information from psychologists and and researchers and and then there are personal stories in there and your own personal stories so it's an interesting book it's not a scholarly work it's a very interesting book that dabbles in so many different things for people to take a look at if they're interested in in looking or investigating more about the afterlife thank so, you that's yeah. a good way to put it actually that's a great summary of it for sure yeah. Good. When when I read books, I tell Gary that, you know, the author may have something that they would like the reader to take away. And, and I think you just mentioned that a few minutes ago, you would like people to be able to open their hearts in such a way to consider the possibility of an afterlife. Right. That's it. For, for me, there was a, the takeaway was a, a new thought. I love it when I have a brand new thought that I've never thought before. Oh, wow. And and I got one from your book. There's several things I want to talk to you about, but I want to start with this and I, I want to read it if that's okay. One sure. paragraph from page 88. And then I'm, I want to talk to you about it. You say afterlife descriptions can be quite similar across the board for visual, auditory, and or tactile experiences is the interest in studying and or communicating with the other side, the result of society's focus on the afterlife, or is there some sort of inevitable cosmic shift acting as the liaison between the living and the dearly departed? Perhaps it's the perfect blend of both to help infiltrate society with the much needed love and peace our world is starving for. Something is happening in the cosmos that is creating this paralleled relationship between the living and the departed. We are desiring to communicate with and learn from the spirit world, while at the same time, the ethereal realm seems to be extremely eager to reach out to us. There could be many reasons as to why I truly believe the spirit world has evolved to understand a greater consciousness. With this said, it seems as though the afterlife is reaching out to us as a way to educate and offer assistance. That Those are your words. Yes, they are. This was the thought that I had. If we as a human species are evolving, and I want to say we are, but if we are, we have gone from, from millennia, many millennia ago, evolved from Cro-Magnon, Neanderthals, first humans, we're, we're, if we consider we are still evolving as a species, I asked myself, 
is part of our evolvement, part of our interest in intuition and the afterlife, because as the next stage of evolvement as a human being, we will have access to both the physical realm and the metaphysical realm naturally. In other words, I get up to have my morning coffee and I stretch and I get out of bed and I make coffee and I say, good morning, Gary, how are you today? Just sleep well. And I also go into the non-physical realm and I say, hi, mom, hi, dad, how are you doing over there? How's your day going? So that our communications and our involvement is in more than one realm. Right. And, and I thought, maybe this is the way humans are going. We're interested in developing our intuition. We're interested in communicating with the afterlife, either ourselves or through mediums or through all the things that you talk about in the book. And those realms are interested in us too. And they're kind I truly of, believe that. that they're I kind of pulling us into this. And what if that's the next stage of human? That's that, what I know, got out of that. That's a thought. It, it, it's like a, the next stage in what I was trying to say. So that's a very eloquent thought that you had. And it got when you were saying it, it got me thinking even more so than when I actually wrote that paragraph. That, well, you know, maybe we are evolving to becoming more one with the universe and being able to truly, truly connect with the other side. Like all of us as yeah. part, of, as a natural way to be as right. we develop as a species. That's very eloquently said. Thank you. Yes, it is. And if true, that would answer a lot of questions. <laughs> I wouldn't right. mind that at all. Even for the atheists and the agnostics among us. I remember listening to a late night radio program that delves into this subject matter one time, and there was a caller. He proclaimed himself an atheist. Long story short, he said, I don't know why people think you have to have a God in order for there to be such a thing as reincarnation or a spiritual dimension to life. If that's part of evolution, then that is an experience that human beings can have regardless of whether or not there is a God. And I thought, wow, that really stretches the boundaries for me. I had never thought of it that way before. Yeah, that's well thought out. Very well thought out. Yeah. I I mean, this is, you know, we're all different and that's wonderful. I, I tend to, I was raised Roman Catholic. I went to Catholic school and all of that. Uh, but I, for me, as I've gotten older, it's, I feel that if you want it, God, uh, whatever it is, is, is within us. And, you know, I feel like you don't have to to actually go to a church in order to pray or want to reach that level. You can do it wherever you are. It's, it's within you. It's within us. Spiritual, not religious. And that's it. That's 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 how I am now as an adult. Right. And and there mm. is some um, um, research and facts to back up that people are becoming more spiritual and less religious as we see vacant churches being turned into other things. For sure. So, so it isn't like churches are on the rise at this mm -hmm. point. They're on the decline. And I think it's the, the dogma and the restrictions 
not so much the the theory you know it it's just that we we aren't meeting people's current needs when it comes to religions and of course so many of them started in order to be restrictive right in, in order to you know have a group of people say this is our team and this is what our team believes and are you on our team or are you not and so it it was it was to be very community oriented under a very strict set of beliefs and and i think a lot of people have gotten away from that i agree i've seen that that uh trend as well so human 2.0 right intuition intuition yes. and and psychic abilities and clairvoyance and clairaudience and and all of those good things that allow you to be uh not only in the physical world but beyond the physical world absolutely and you know that chapter i do offer on the balancing because there is a connection between our mind our body and our spirit it, it's essentially one unit in in my opinion and so i felt that that chapter was needed because it goes back to that question that paranormal investigators and researchers such as myself are asked a lot. What is the best piece of equipment to connect with the afterlife, to connect with, with the other side? Ourselves are. Our bodies are our souls, ourselves. And so I that's why I included that, because that's the the basic foundation. If you are balanced, mind, body, and spirit-wise, and you are able and open to connect with your own intuition and your own psychic channeling abilities, that's half the battle. That's half the step. And so that's why I included that chapter in there. So before we take our break here in a few minutes, I'd like to devote a bit of time to hearing a description from your point of view, Nicole, of what has become known popularly as Frank's box. It's a ghost box, but Frank's by, I assume Frank is the inventor. Frank in Sumption, yes. Frank Sumption. Has he passed away? Uh, yes, I believe he has, yes. I forget That's... what year. I Yeah, I forget what year. I believe he has. It would have uh, been, I think, several years ago, and I believe I first heard that he had crossed over from, well, I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt there. I don't know, maybe he's hanging out in a department store, but probably not. But Frank... There, I found this out from uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our mutual friend, who is dearly departed in her own way and who reportedly has been heard from. So that leads me to my question, Nicole. If we're going to vouch for the veracity of Frank's box, wouldn't it be a good idea if people started hearing from Frank? That would be a good idea. And and I I know I I have not myself communicated with him that I know of. But uh, other people that I know uh, have claimed to uh, have potentially communicated with him via that whole idea of instrumental transcommunication, which is basically the Frank's box, the ITC uh, devices that are now on the market for that. And I and it's a very subjective type of methodology. But when you can match like a word or phrase and it's correlating with what you're talking about or the person you're trying to connect with there's something there so i've i've used it successfully uh itc instrumental transcommunication which is basically live com communication between us 
and and uh, the other side. So it, it's a very effective methodology. And the difference between electric voice phenomenon and and ITC, which mm-hmm. right now I can't say what the three words are, but what is the difference between those two? So they're 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 cousins in a way, and there's similarities and differences, of course. So both are a type of electronic voice communication, let's say from the other side. Now, an electronic voice phenomena or an EVP is a word or a phrase that is captured on a recording device, but is not heard by the naked ear at the time. Whereas if you're doing live uh, uh, communication back and forth via instrumental transcommunication, which was coined by uh, Dr. Frank Senkowski, I think in in the 1970s, that's a live way of communicating. That's something you do hear at the time. But I actually have to say that sometimes I've reviewed my audio after, let's say, a a case study or an investigation, and there are words that I listened to after that I did not hear at the time. But uh, they're both very, very effective. Of course, they can be subjective, but you just have to to be meticulous about how you review it. So with electric voice phenomenon, as you said, you don't often hear it at the time and mm. it's it's recorded. Whereas the uh what is ITC in instrumental transcommunication. Instrumental transcommunication, that is the the box where it is running through radio waves. Right. So that it, it it's as if you were with your radio turning the dial as fast as you could, so that it it sounds like a whole bunch of of fuzz, but then you hear words between all of the stations. Absolutely, is that, is that a good way of putting that? That is a good way of putting it, and okay. and it, there's a lot of debate on it too of, of of how authentic it is and and whatnot again you have to be meticulous but it's my thought that and the theory is is that perhaps spiritual beings or those on the other side can use that electronic frequency to help them formulate words and phrases so it but has, again we don't know we don't know i can't right. tell you how it's done it we has, don't know we have been told by others who um, are experts in in afterlife communication that we ourselves are electromagnetic mm-hmm. and the electromagnetic part of us may be the part that leaves the physical body and still exists. So that's, that's why that electromagnetic soul can then communicate using the um, the voice box, the Frank's box, or be recorded because those those are electromagnetic uh, waves that that can be heard. Yes, absolutely. That I I would okay. agree with that. That's a good way of put, putting it. And it's I, I'm picturing right now a lot of the nerve synapses in the body. So it's like we're all interconnected. So I think that that uh, that soul type connection with all of us too helps us to also reach out to departed loved ones and connect with the other side. So, and how that is pulled off as a cosmic act of personhood, 
mm-hmm. of, of fulfilling what it means. And I'm resorting to a catchphrase here. Perhaps we are, after all, spiritual beings having a human experience while we are in these bodies. It's an exciting prospect. I'm in favor. <laughs> I imagine most of us are. I don't know. But I can tell you this much. The Afterlife Chronicles, exploring the connection between life, death, and beyond is a compelling read and a multifaceted one as well, as you might expect from the author, Nicole Strickland. She, Thank you. She is, our, she is our honored guest of this hour. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more conversation in regards. Glad to have you with us, everyone. Give us a couple of minutes and we will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detail in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Nicole Strickland to discuss her latest book, The Afterlife Chronicles, exploring the connection between life, death, and beyond. On Saturday, Sam Moranto, UFO investigator, returns with the latest disclosures being released by U.S. government officials who say, yes, we are not alone and we have the evidence. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our special guest this hour, Nicole Strickland. She is the author of a new book called The Afterlife Chronicles, Exploring the Connection Between Life, Death, and Beyond. Nicole, you have, I think of you as the Queen Mary expert, and (laughs) you should be. Um, But in addition to all your work in the Queen Mary, if people would like to find out about this book, the Queen Mary, anything else you've written, uh, please let us know. What is your website? How people can contact you? Any social media? Anything people can participate in? Sure. So my my I have three websites, but my main one, my author one, is authornicolestrickland.com, just all one word, and uh, that has my books on there. Pretty much all my pre- I I need to add some stuff to it, but it's my books are on there. My presentations, pretty much it's it's 
about what I do and the work I do. And then, of course, my team's website is uh, sandiegoparanormalresearch.com. And then I have a little website devoted to the Queen Mary that I need to update. That's spiritedqueenmary.com. You can find me on Facebook at, at Nicole D. Strickland. That's the handle. And then um, I have other Facebook pages as well. Uh, author Nicole Strickland on Instagram. And then I'm on Twitter, which is now X, right? Twitter, but it's still Twitter, right? I right. think. Uh, and so that handle is uh, SD, SDPRS Nicole, at, at SDPRS Nicole. So excellent. People That's pretty should, much should be able right to there. find you there. There's yeah. a, a lot of stuff there because we have known you for so long as the um, ghost person, especially the ghosts of the RMS Queen Mary um, in reading the afterlife chronicles, there was something that you talked about in here that also took my interest quite a bit. And uh, before I get into what I think my question is, I, I'd like you to explain what is a tulpa? Oh, this is a, okay. Gosh, how much time do we have? So a tulpa in, in, a, in a couple words, it's basically, it's a Tibetan word that means manifestation or emanation. So it's, a, it's the thought is that when we think about something over and over and over and give power to our thoughts, that those thoughts can take on their own life forms. So I feel, and I talk a little bit about tulpas and their influence in paranormal research and how how tulpas can be formed uh, and things of that nature. So that in a sense, that's what it means. Our thoughts can be become so powerful that they almost take on their own life forms. Okay. Now here's so, my question. When you have n negative thoughts that can actually manifest, one of the places that Gary and I have seen this on TV seems in some cases to reflect the negative energies around teenage girls where there's poltergeist activity in a home. Right. And when we were watching it, the, the, the uh, paranormal researcher was saying that it is perhaps not that the poltergeist activity kind of came from the outside and entered the home and caused chaos, but that it was actually emanating from a teenage girl in the home mm -hmm. because of her age, her, her hormones, her emotions, her thoughts. And as you said, as a tulpa, thinking about a thing and creating it to happen having that negative energy happen. And, and so I was wondering about the idea of when you're researching something, the difference between malevolent energies that, that you may have found in your mm -hmm. research. Mm -hmm. And it, if you have come across a situation like this, where you felt like whatever was in the house was actually generated by the people living in the house as opposed to coming in from the outside. Yes, that's a good point. A very good point. And oops, my phone. Sorry. Jeez. That's my notification. Sorry about that. I didn't uh, hear it. Okay, good. 
so that happens a lot on in, in with with my history with private residence cases. And that's that's the it, it proposes a, a a lot of not trouble, but it's a lot to sift through for the paranormal researcher because you're going in and you're trying to sift through what is what I call authentically paranormal activity. So paranormal activity that occurs uh, on its own without any influence of the living versus sifting through that which is caused by the living. So my thought, I, I don't really believe a lot in, in, in demons. I think if, if they do exist, it's extremely rare. So I think a lot of the alleged malevolent activity, which can be caused obviously by humans and, and non-human energy, of course. But uh, I feel that a lot of that negative energy is caused by the living, whether it's from whatever. We all have our own internal baggage that we're dealing with, and it's very easy for people to blame it on something external. So, okay, let's blame it on the ghost. Let's blame all this negative stuff on the paranormal when the paranormal may not even be involved in it. So I think it's an, it's, it's, it's an important topic that I think needs to be more addressed. So It was addressed in a very famous movie, particularly for its special effects, but also the Shakespearean theme, and that is the projection of the id Forbidden Planet. Yep. With Dr. Morbius, he had the id monster, a projection of his own mind, and it was deadly to crew members who had landed on his planet. And I thought, how interesting that we can project something that in the real world has even tragic effects because it's so powerful. And if it's a negative kind of power, look out. There you go. Yep. Very important topic. I'm glad you brought that up. It was one of the things that uh, really intrigued me in the Afterlife Chronicles. And similarly, um, uh, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about, it's this idea of either or. And and so, you know, is it one thing? Is it another thing? This is something for the paranormal researcher to have to work through to make these determinations. The other thing which is similar to that in, and in the fact that it's an either or scenario, I found way toward the end of the book, and it has to do with people who are at the end of life Mm -hmm. and they start seeing their loved ones. Yes. And I, I, um, I have a friend whose mother is quite aged and is seeing her sister uh, at night and talking to her and is seeing spirit people in the room and describing what it is they're wearing doesn't necessarily know who they are, but they're different ages, different sizes, and and is describing, you know, what they have on. And at the end of the book, you, you talk about, does the end of life produce hallucinations, or are they actually getting visitations from another realm? How do you sort through that? Yeah, uh, you're talking about bereavement, hallucinations, and it's it's a hard, I think it's very difficult to sift through to see what 
technically is a hallucination versus a visitation. It's of my belief that when we're nearing our transition to the other side, that in some way, our loved ones or or spirit guides are there to almost help us get ready and prepare us for that journey. So I think, you know, it's, 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 it's a hard thing, I think, for medical and a lot of a lot of nurses and, and hospice nurses have have witnessed this, where they will go into a patient's room and they'll see the patient talking to someone talking to thin air. And uh, I would like to believe that it's more of a visitation just because there are so many claims and stories of it. But of course, you know, with medications and a lot of times with people that are older and they're near dying, they might be on pain medication and things of that nature. So they could, it could be somewhat of a hallucination, but I, I tend to, to believe because like I said, there's so many stories and accounts that are so similar across the board that it's, it's a visitation that they're truly, truly getting ready to, to move on. And it's usually within a few days, a few weeks to their passing. Yeah. I am curious to know, about this this concept i'm trying to wrap my mind around it nicole shared visitations it's one thing for the person who's getting ready to make their transition to have these sorts of experiences but what if you're there holding their hand and keeping a vigil there are people that either you know or know about who've had these experiences and want the world to know about them yeah, that's interesting. Shared death experiences versus uh, near death experiences. I mean, technically, they're the same thing. It just involves more than one person. I had a guest on my show, I think it was a couple of years ago, and I'm forgetting the exact story, but uh, someone was passing and the two living family members were able to experience almost the same type of near death experience but didn't really know it at the time. But later on, they shared with each other. And it's intriguing how, how that happens. I think there are more stories of that. Just people haven't talked about it. But near-death experiences is something that's very, very, very intriguing to me. Doctor, There's many studies on it. Uh, Dr. Sam Parnia with NYU, he's the director of uh, resuscitation research there at, at New York University's Langone Medical Center. He's studied... NDEs. He's one of the largest studies in the world. And he talks about how the brain upon death doesn't just obliterate immediately. It goes through like a process of decay. So that allows the medical practitioners to actually study the brain's electrical waves right after death. So it's it's very, very interesting, NDEs. There's definitely more studies need to be done on it for sure. I've read quotes from people in the allied health professions who assure us that our hearing is the last sense to go yes i find that, that intriguing mm -hmm. so Isn't that, uh, yeah yeah i mean maybe we don't think anymore we don't see anymore but we can hear and we're going to hear people around us there so if we are attended I mean, whoever you are doing the attending, be careful what you say. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow. So if the hearing is the last to go, we actually depart this earth in stages. That's that's a very interesting way to look at it. I've actually never thought of it in, in, in that form before, but you might be onto something there for sure. 
but it's it's interesting with with near death experiences how a person's brain waves can be studied and there's still electrical activity after that person's heart and breathing stop and so it's thought during that time that that's when perhaps the the nde could occur so but departing in stages that's i think you're on to something there that's a good point uh, akin to that, Nicole, is something I, I read in your book that I, I found so intriguing. And that is the idea of someone who is departing and visits another mm-hmm. person upon their departure and, you know, waves goodbye and says, I'm fine and you take care. But they do it with four or five people at the same time. And I said, how can that be? I'm still in the physical. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that a departing person would say goodbye at the exact same time to more than one person. Now, isn't that strange? It's very strange. And I believe there, well, I know there's one or two stories in the book that talk about that. I think one of them is Marie D. Jones's story when her her, uh, relative passed away. But it, it it it's it's I don't know how that happens. We don't, but there's some sort of telepathic link going on. And I think it goes back to that our soul. And right, we each have an individual soul, but yet there's a collective soul as well. And so we're all interconnected and maybe there's something there that allows that to happen. But it yeah, the this mechan- subject. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say the mechanics of it. You you can't figure out, but the fact that it even occurs is so interesting because they all had the visitation at exactly the same time. Right. And it's like now, how can that be really? It's you know, it. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's a quantum mechanics, quantum physics. Yeah. Uh, 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 idea there uh time is thought to be blurred that you know past present and future really don't exist time is all one so who knows but it's this whole entire subject of afterlife study is something i'm extremely passionate about and i and i i'm one of those that is i i advocate for the respect and reverence of the afterlife in the spirit world and uh it's something that i'll be doing well into eternity i'm sure so well, you've always done that in your paranormal research. It is once again in the book. So you're mm-hmm. very clear that if you would like to connect with the afterlife, it's not a matter of aggravating them or yelling at them. You say, be respectful, mm-hmm. treat the afterlife, departed loved ones, as you would like to be treated right here, right now. That's and- it lovingly and respectfully not demanding i demand you come and see me you, you know you you don't want to you don't want to do that but that is uh, it seems to be the hallmark of the work that you do and the results that you get because you treat the departed ones with the same respect that you treat people on this side with yes that's correct and it's you you it, and I, I'm I don't just do it because I want good results. It's it's an innate feeling. It, it it feels good to be respectful because you you know you're dealing with maybe someone's mother, someone's father, someone's relative, 
You know, would you go up to a stranger on the corner and just start like interrogating them with questions? No. So when you're doing uh, EVP sessions or, or communication sessions, you want to set the tone. You want to let the energies there know, of course, the intelligent ones there know your intent. It's all about intention, knowing why you're there and why you're going to be asking them questions. And I tend to like it more of a discussion type base than just like an interview, right? Like a job interview. It's 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 better when it's more of a discussion uh, type of um, EVP session. So, but respect and reverence goes a long way, folks. It does. And along those lines, Nicole, let me ask you, I've never asked you this before. We've never discussed it even privately. Have you ever had to, shall we say, remonstrate with someone who during a ghost research incident, an episode, you planned it out, you brought the equipment, only to find that somebody is into provoking ghosts, speaking to them rather rudely or or brusquely in hopes of triggering some kind of reaction? I have had that, sadly, a couple of times. Uh, my situation was a little different. It was more with the actual client of the home. So we had uh, someone who came on the team and perhaps I should have interviewed this person a little bit more, brought him on. I had my reservations, but so he was like pretty much in training. And so we were at this house and he was upstairs with another teammate. I went up there to check and he was telling the client again, going on projections and projecting his own negative energy onto the client because he was one of those that believed everything's bad, everything's negative. And I caught him telling the client that she had something horrible in her closet. And so I, I immediately had to intervene. I took them both outside and talked to them. And I had to later tell the client it was a whole mess. So it was more around that. But um, I, I've talked with with other people that I know in the field, and they've had people that they've had to, to uh, uh, get off the team because they would just provoke all the time. And I think you find that a lot more with with uh, uh, thrill seekers and those that really aren't in it for the research angle. They're in it more for the fun and games of it all. And so it's it's really sad. So you have to decipher between what is a thrill seeker and what is a paranormal researcher because they're two different things. It's a whole different psychological mindset. So. Good point. Good point. I wanted to ask you, Nicole, our time is growing short here, but I'm very interested in having you tell our listeners where you land on the whole concept of spirit guides and how you work with them, even professionally. Spirit guides, very, uh, they're near and dear to my heart and uh, we all have them. And it's, it's almost like intuition where some people are just more open to it, more aware of it than others. To me, that translates over to spirit guides. Some people are more aware of their guides uh, and open to them than others, but I, there's different types of guides and, uh, it's hard to put this in words, but you almost, it's an innate feeling when you know your guide is communicating with you. And it's, its I, gosh, how do I word this? Because it's like your own intuition speaking to you, but I feel your guides are that intuition, if that makes sense. It's hard to put into words what I'm thinking right now, but uh, it's James Von Prague is the person to have on about guides because he's, he's well known for that. But uh, we all have them. 
And it's just, you just have to be open and pay attention to them. And then it's all about intention. If you want to speak to your guide, let them know that. And it's just that feeling, you know, when you're getting divine advice from something, whether it's your own intuition or a guide. And I think our guides have access to our innate intuition and almost help us to connect with that, if that makes sense. So it does make sense. I think also it touches on nomenclature. I've wondered right. for many years mm-hmm. if it, for example, is a spirit guide the equivalent or identified as a guardian angel, for example. I've told people, I don't know whether there really is a distinction to be drawn, which just shows my ignorance. I don't know. Maybe there are spirits over there that will answer to the name or the title of guardian angel, or maybe that's a special distinction higher up the ladder of spiritual evolution. It's hard for me to say. It is hard, I sure know when my folks are around, my dad, he's around me all the time. When I sit down with a medium, and I, I don't give them any prep. I want to find out what they can mm-hmm. tell me. My dad mm-hmm. is right there like he's keeping an appointment. <laughs> I love it. That's so cute. I love that. You know, and it's it, it you I thought of something just now and I've actually never thought I've never thought about this before, but just now it popped up. Is it possible? Now this is far out in left field here, but is it possible that our own innate intuition our our soul's language or what i should say is it possible that our spirit guides are the personification of our own innate intuition or our soul's language i don't know that thought just came up so i thought i'd mention it but our own you know, higher consciousness right yeah i just yeah yeah i don't know it's it's I, I tend to think outside the box a lot maybe sometimes too much but that's just how well, i am maybe so. just enough nicole Maybe just enough. <laughs> Who knows? That's Who the knows? mark of a good researcher. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you've researched quite a bit here in the Afterlife Chronicles, exploring the connection between life, death, and beyond. Nicole Strickland, I'm I'm so glad that you wrote this book. Thank it you. Is, it is a, a good place for somebody to get an overall view of all of it. And it's within a... a a volume that is actually very, very readable with good stories. So I appreciate the fact that we had that chance to read it and, um, and that you came on today to talk about it. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's like I say, every time it's a huge honor and I'm glad you enjoyed the book. It was a labor of love to write. So, yeah. Well, we look forward to the next time. Yeah. And there will be a next time. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Beautiful. Nicole Strickland, everyone. And the name of the book again is The Afterlife Chronicles, Exploring the Connection Between Life, Death, and Beyond. Coming up next, we've got Mystic Mystic Radio with Robin Alexis. So enjoy that. We hope you stick around for that, everybody. And then tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific time on 1150 a.m., we will be back. Another hour of live radio. Always glad to have you with us. Let this be the start of your great weekend, everyone. 